Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. If you're like me, changing the clocks for daylight saving time messes with your sleep schedule. Right after the time change, I'm less sharp mentally and a bit cranky. But there are things we can do to make the transition smoother. So this week we're asking, how can I sleep better around daylight saving time? Hi, Elliot. Welcome back to The Dose. Hi. Thanks for having me, Brian. So how much do you dread the clock change? Um, personally, I'm not too bad, uh, but I know other people really suffer. Different people have different sensitivities to it, but uh, I just try to tough it out for a couple of days, and then usually for myself personally, I'm, I'm okay. But it can be difficult for a lot of uh, people, for sure. And that's why uh, we wanted to have you back on the show. So before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it, just ad lib. Hi, my name is Elliot Lee. I'm the medical director of the Sleep Disorders Clinic at the Royal Ottawa Mental Health Centre. We uh, deal in sleep disorders, including sleep apnea, insomnia, restless leg syndrome, and other neurological and psychiatric issues as they affect sleep. Uh, No question, daylight saving time affects the quality of our sleep. How does it do that? Well, uh, what happens with daylight saving times is we get uh, more Uh, light exposure in the evenings and more darkness in the morning. So fundamentally, that will actually shift our uh, circadian rhythm and so accelerate any kind of misalignment of our sleep to our uh, circadian rhythm. That contributes overall to uh, sleep deprivation and a, a misalignment of sleep to our circadian rhythm, sometimes called social jet lag. And so over time, that can have various uh, consequences. Uh, In large groups of people, we see a higher risk of cardiovascular morbidity, more ER visits, uh, higher traffic accidents, even missed medical appointments because people are just not used to having that that, uh, loss of that hour when we uh, spring forward. We're going to get into that in just a moment, but I'm kind of uh, stunned to hear you talk about this uh, as, as, as something that could be more persistent. Um, How long is our sleep usually affected by the time change? So for most people, they can overcome that over a few days. But for some people, it can take several weeks even to overcome that time change. And that can cause considerable problems in that time period uh, for which people are trying to overcome that time change. But it's a very subtle and insidious problem for, for people. Uh, I happen to have uh, a big problem with sleep. I've, I've suffered from insomnia for, for decades. Is it worse? Is the switch to daylight saving time uh, worse for people like me? Well, ironically, for people with insomnia, it's actually the other time change that often is a little bit worse because when you, sh- uh, when you spring forward, you actually lose time that you have to stay awake at night. So you actually can jump into your day a little bit more quickly. So sometimes for people with insomnia, it's actually a little bit better for the daylight savings, but the standard time or uh, falling backwards, that sometimes bothers uh, people more because they have to to spend another hour awake uh, at nighttime. 
but it really depends on what kind of problems people have for for the majority of people who are generally sleep deprived to start out with and already a little bit misaligned the daylight savings can really make that misalignment worse you know we tend to think of insomnia as a highly individual a problem. You know, some people can be having a lot of trouble sleeping when everybody else around them is sleeping just fine. But the switch to, to DST uh, is a mass event. So to what extent is that switch a mass uh, sleep depriving event affecting most everyone? Well, there are multiple studies showing that this really affects a lot of people. And from a systemic point of view, we see a lot of different uh, problems arise with the shift to daylight savings. In particular, there's a higher risk of cardiovascular morbidity and mortality, higher uh, incidence of stroke and heart attacks, more ER visits during that time, more traffic accidents, uh, e even missed medical appointments because people aren't, just aren't used to that and generally are not only sleep deprived in that time, but also suffering from a misalignment of their sleep to their other daily rhythms. Is that is, is is it the misalignment per se, or or is it the extra hour of morning darkness that's that's causing some of these effects? So it's not really entirely clear. Truthfully, it's probably a little bit of both. So we know that uh, for sleep to be restorative and do whatever it is it's supposed to do, you need three things to happen. You need a good quantity of sleep, and so this is affected by daylight savings because. You know, people are generally dropping an hour of their sleep unless they prepare ahead of time. But it's also the quality of sleep that suffers uh, with that misalignment. Because if the timing of sleep is not uh, aligned with our own circadian rhythms, then both the quality and the quantity suffer. So, but disentangling those is actually a complicated process. And, and I gather that there are a number of uh, hormones, chemicals, neurochemicals, and body chemicals that have to kick in when you wake up in the morning. So effectively, uh, if, if it's uh, later than, you, than your body thinks it is, uh, it's not ready to start the day. Have I got it right? That's pretty much right. The main one that we, de uh, we depend on to kind of start our day is cortisol. So right in the morning when we wake up, we all have kind of a cortisol surge that helps us to be most alert first thing in the morning and then it kind of dies down. But then most of our circadian rhythms for the day are centered around that wake-up time. That's partly why the wake-up time is the most important thing to entrain or align our circadian rhythm to keep it uh, intact. And probably why the daylight savings or any kind of shift like that is associated with a lot of uh, excess inflammation and stress on the cardiovascular system. So those are some of the reasons why there might be an increased rate of heart attacks and strokes, and I have certainly seen that as an emergency physician. What about the connection between the switch to daylight saving time and traffic accidents? So that, that's quite interesting. It's not really clear uh, whether the traffic accidents are related to people just not sleeping enough because they lose that hour of sleep, but it's also probably influenced by the misalignment of the circadian cycle to the uh, regular sleep rhythm. So again, people, we know that uh, when quantity and quality of sleep suffer, cognitive processes, including reaction time, also suffer as well. So this is probably why there's just a higher risk of uh, accidents uh, in the day. We see this all the time with shift work, you know, for, for residents when they're not sleeping at the right time relative to their own internal clock. Oh, it's, there, there's some tragic uh, consequences that can occur for residents on call. Now, 
Their misalignment is obviously much worse than what would happen in daylight savings, but the concept is still still there. Um, we've been talking about what happens in the morning with the extra hour of darkness and not being ready to start the day. Your body's not ready to start the day when, when the light cues are telling us we're supposed to start. What about at the other end? What's the impact of that one hour longer of evening light? So that extra hour of evening light will actually serve to slightly delay the circadian rhythm and make it a little bit harder to fall asleep uh, at night. So again, it's just making that misalignment uh, worse uh, between the sleep cycle and our other bodily rhythms, which are normally under a very tight circadian control, particularly body temperature, but also several hormones like cortisol that we also talked about. So given everything we've talked about so far, what are some of the ways that we might be able to prepare in advance for the time change? So I think the first thing to do is to be aware of when the time change is occurring and start our preparations two or three days ahead of the time change. So ideally, uh, it would be ideal to advance the bedtime by 15 to 20 minutes uh, every day for two or three days uh, before the time change so that by the time the time change occurs, the person is already adjusted to the new sleep schedule and then adjust all the other things that normally entrain our circadian rhythm to our sleep rhythm. So the time we eat, uh, even our work activities, um, if, if people have kids, for example, the time that they have their nap, just doing the same thing, advancing everything by 15 or 20 minutes for two or three days uh, leading up to the, the time change. Those things can be helpful. And then when the time change occurs, trying not to do too many important things right after the time change. So don't schedule important activities because people are generally just still tired or not uh, functioning at their optimal level, especially in the first two or three days after the time change. So uh, trying to make, uh, if, if you have that luxury, trying to make work a little bit easier, not scheduling a heavy work day, you know, right after the time change uh, occurs. You, you talked about sleep hygiene. You just mentioned it. Can you define what we mean by that and how it can help our bodies deal with the time change? So uh, sleep hygiene fundamentally is just habits that we can do to train ourselves to be a better sleeper. One of the first things we uh, recommend is really having a good wind-down routine. Everybody needs uh, a lower um, lowered arousal uh, to, to facilitate sleep onset and maintenance. So we really need to disassociate ourselves from the things of the day that can make us stressed. So really get away from work, from other obligations for at least uh, an hour, preferably two hours before the sleep time to kind of wind down uh, and get into sleep. And then really to associate the bed only with sleep and not to do other activities that we would normally associate with wakefulness. So not uh, doing a lot of work in bed or watching TV in bed, and especially the backlit screens. Not only is there a physiologic arousal from the light from the screens that can shift the circadian rhythms and suppress the production of melatonin that we normally need, but also the psychologic arousal that can come from those devices, the, the content that we're watching that often is very engaging and then difficult to dissociate from. And similarly, we also have to look at our daytime activity as well. Try to exercise, especially early uh, in the morning would be better. It helps to entrain our circadian rhythm. Try not to nap too long, especially in the day. And then basically doing other, avoiding other things that are toxic to our uh, sleep, like uh, alcohol and caffeine and, and things like this. So, so you, you've mentioned naps, and, and I want to jump on that for a second. What, what's the optimal time for a nap? What's too much? And, and what's the best time of day to nap if you feel like you need to? Because a lot of people will be sleep deprived. Yeah, everybody's a little bit different. So naps can actually be helpful for people as long as they're used judiciously and uh, carefully. 
So for most people, usually a half hour nap is probably the optimal time to, to nap. Once people start to get to an hour or two, it actually can sabotage the sleep that night. And by that time, people often develop something called a sleep inertia. Because they get into too much deep sleep, it can actually make it difficult to, to waken from the nap. And so usually for the first half hour or an hour after that kind of long nap, people will actually be a little bit groggy and be impaired. But a half hour for most people is usually um, provides enough uh, energy and restorative power for sleep to actually carry one throughout the, uh, the remaining parts of the day. The optimal time from a circadian point of view to nap usually is somewhere between 2 and 6 p.m. That's where we typically have our highest propensity for sleep. Napping too late uh, will impair usually the sleep onset or maintenance of the following night. Uh, too early, it's actually too hard to nap. The worst time to actually nap is sometime between 6 and 9 p.m. So there's actually a, a sort of a second wind that most people get that makes it actually very difficult to nap in that time. Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever, and me, Taylor McGilvery, and myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. You mentioned... Uh, uh, parents of infants and young children a while back and, and what to do about them. Um, would you say that infants and children find it more difficult to adapt to daylight saving time? I think as a general group, yes, because uh, infants and toddlers, they, they, they really need a strong uh, rhythm to entrain their sleep because they don't have the usual uh, biological devices that uh, adults have to kind of tolerate different uh, changes in their sleep patterns. So uh, they benefit much more than adults from uh, sort of a regular sleep schedule and regular predictable schedule. So they suffer a lot more when that schedule is misaligned, you know, f through forces that are beyond their, their control. I think one of the funniest things I, I heard, because people don't always recognize, is one of my colleagues said when they were having their first baby, well, I don't know why people have problems with their sleep, because when we have our baby, that baby is going to sleep on our schedule, not the other way around. I'm like, Nothing could make me laugh more than because they have their own rhythm and we just have to do our best to kind of accommodate that rhythm for, for kids. And only later when you get older can you maybe shift it a little bit. So how important is it for parents of, of young kids, preschoolers, infants to, to, to get them outside in the morning light? to try to synchronize, to resynchronize their, their, their circadian rhythms around the new schedule? So it's really ideal if possible. Obviously, it's much harder when, uh, in, in, for example, the, the winter months uh, where, you know, there's, uh, you know, not as much light uh, outside, as long as it's not too cold. It's probably the single biggest thing that we can do to help keep the uh, circadian rhythm uh, intact for, for kids is to get them that morning light exposure, particularly uh, outside. You know, there are lots of over-the-counter sleep aids. Are any of them helpful uh, with people in adjusting to uh, the time change? Probably the only uh, aid that has a chance of helping uh, people for adjusting to the uh, time change is melatonin. So that's a hormone that's normally produced in our brain in response to darkness, but it also has some chronobiotic activity. So it can actually help shift our sleep cycle if properly timed and dose. But that's, that's the key. If people take the wrong dose or at the wrong time, it actually does nothing or sometimes can even make things worse. 
but taken at the right time, uh, and the, the, the timing for the window is very narrow. For some people, it's only like an hour wide, uh, but, and at a small dose, it can actually help uh, accelerate the adjustment to the, the time change. So uh, people can use this, for example, for uh, adjusting to like jet lag, but the, the timing and the, the dose, is, it's very important actually, and sometimes overlooked when people try to use this. What is the ideal time to take melatonin to switch to, during the switch to daylight saving time? So it really depends on one's own circadian rhythm that will actually determine the timing. I would say as a general rule, especially if they have some delayed sleep phase tendencies to begin with, if they have a little bit of an evening preference, a little bit of a, a night owl tendency, probably one or three milligrams at 7 p.m. is just sort of a rough guess. Uh, might be most helpful, but it's usually sometime between 7 and 9 p.m. But everybody has to sort of experiment a little bit with their own circadian rhythm. Uh, but uh, taken at that time, it can help accelerate the adjustment to daylight savings in the right person. But everybody be a little bit different. Still have to worry about uh, potential for side effects. Uh, it can be a little sedating. Sometimes it can cause some disturbing dreams. So um, sometimes there can be some certain drug-drug interactions. So if there's any problems, it's important to talk with the physician about um, the use, use of melatonin under those circumstances. You mentioned the importance of the quality of sleep as one of three things that, that uh, we need to pay attention to. So while we have you here, I want to ask you a, a little bit more general question about sleep. A new study uh, came out last month suggesting that the quality of sleep or quality sleep can add years to your life. So what defines quality sleep? So there's a certain sleep architecture that occurs when we sleep. One of my mentors referred to this as like a symphony, you know. So even if the quantity is good, if the quality is not good, um, then the quantity doesn't, uh, doesn't matter. And so each uh, night of sleep has a certain sleep architecture or a fingerprint, if you will. There's typically more deep sleep in the first half of the night, more REM sleep in the second half of the night, and we cycle in and out of REM sleep throughout the night. And so that fingerprint or signature is what really defines a good quality of sleep for for most people. And again, if that quality suffers, then the quantity doesn't matter. So the way I like to think about this is like trying to study for an exam. You know, if uh, I give people an exam and say, here's the book you need to read and here's the exam, I'll put you in a quiet room for eight hours. That's like the total sleep time. Chances are, if they're properly motivated, they'll do quite well if they have the book and they have eight hours to study in that room. But I can give them the same room, the same book, but I go into the room during the eight hours, every five minutes, I just ask him, like, how do you spell your name? And where was your mother born? And what city uh, are you from? And just all, you know, silly, innocent questions. But I do that the whole eight hours. Then how well are they going to do on the exam? You know, just probably not as well as if I left them there quietly. But I gave them the right time. I gave them the right book. I gave them the quantity, but I did not give them the quality. So is the equivalent of, of, of what you just talked about in that, in that kind of jocular experiment of, of interrupting students with, with trivial comments over an eight-hour period, like on a repeated basis, uh, is, that, is the equivalent to that when we're talking about sleep, somebody waking up multiple times a night? Uh, pretty much, yeah. So just imagine listening to a symphony. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful music, but how good is that experience if you keep getting static, you know, or something just in the middle of it? and getting it five or ten times, like the, it really compromises the experience of the, the symphony. And so, you know, the quality is really important uh, as well as the quantity, and both quality and quantity suffer if the timing is also off as well. So is there anything that we can do to improve sleep quality? 
So it depends on really what the problem is for the, the quality. So, you know, if uh, people are doing the regular sleep habits, you know, that uh, is always in the media, you know, having a regular sleep and wake time, trying to uh, avoid uh, things that are toxic to sleep like backlit screens, uh, alcohol, cannabis, uh, caffeine, trying to disassociate the bed from wakeful behaviors like, you know, not doing work in the bed and things like this and not napping in the day. And there's still a problem with the uh, quality or quantity of sleep. Probably by that time, especially if uh, people are seeing an impairment in their daytime functioning uh, or their job or relationships or irritability or mood or anxiety disturbances, by that time, it's probably good to consult a healthcare professional about maybe having sleep assessed more carefully, perhaps by a sleep specialist to rule out other sleep disorders, which sometimes can be very insidious, like sleep apnea or other neurological problems, like something called periodic limb movement disorder where people twitch at night. Or sometimes people just do very strange things at night that interrupt their sleep, but usually they're not aware of it. And so this is where the sleep study or the polysomnography study can be very uh, important and helpful. Um, last question I wanted to ask you, what's your best piece of advice for people who are struggling to get those three things that you talked about that are so important, the quantity, the quality, and the timing of sleep? Oh, my best piece of advice. <laughs> there's, there's so many things I can think of. Uh, in terms of behaviors, uh, ideally getting outside in some capacity to make sure that sunlight enters our eyes because our whole circadian rhythm is actually entrained or centered around that uh, light exposure that we get in the morning. And that, that will entrain the rest of our circadian rhythms for the whole day. So a light first thing in the morning, ideally outside, if possible, where we get the most uh, exposure to light would be perhaps my best single tip for entraining our own circadian rhythm to align our sleep with our... Uh, own biological rhythms. Dr. Elliot Lee, lots of great tips and advice. Thank you so much for speaking with us once again on The Dose. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Brian. Dr. Elliot Lee is the medical director of the Sleep Disorders Clinic at the Royal Ottawa Mental Health Centre. Here's your dose of smart advice. Don't take the switch to daylight saving time lightly. Changing your exposure to sunlight throws off your body's circadian rhythm, the internal clock that helps control your sleep. Although the clock shifts only one hour at a time, this abrupt time change can cause significant sleep disruption and sleep deprivation in ways that affect thinking, decision-making, and productivity. The switch to daylight saving time is associated with a short-term risk of heart attacks, stroke, traffic accidents, emergency room visits, and mood disturbances. Here are some ways that you can lessen the impact. First, in the weeks prior to the switch, try to get the best sleep you can so you're not sleep-deprived to begin with. Second, get a head start on adjusting to DST by gradually shifting your sleep-wake cycle in the week before the switch. Go to bed 10 to 20 minutes earlier each day and adjust meal and exercise times accordingly. Don't wait till 2 a.m. to reset your clocks. Get a jump on daylight saving time by switching clocks the day prior to the switch. Since daylight is the main driver of your circadian rhythm, get as much sunlight as you can during the days following the switch. If you have young children, adjust their bedtime routine and make sure they get outside in the morning hours following the time change to get exposed to the natural light. If you get irritable around the clock change, try relaxation techniques like deep breathing, mindfulness, and meditation, not to mention exercise. In the days following the switch, don't overload your workday. Schedule important meetings or events later in the week when you've had more time to adjust and avoid long drives right after the time change. 
For daytime sleepiness, take a short nap, under 30 minutes only. The best time to nap without disrupting nighttime sleep is early in the afternoon. And don't forget to make your sleep routine healthier by avoiding caffeine and alcohol, especially in the afternoon and evening, and by staying off your devices at least 30 minutes before bed. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois and Isabel Gallant. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.